it's more. I've left the door open. I think that's loads. We're not going to get through all of that. And then slightly smaller bits, like that should be easier. Oh, you've got fire lighters. Oh my god. No wonder the fires are going to light. We don't need kindling with that. Hello, welcome to the latest episode of Farmerama. It's the holiday season, and across the world, we know many people are getting in the mood and slowing down, <laughs> if not coming to an outright stop. But of course, life on the farm doesn't stop. Goats don't celebrate Hanukkah. And chickens have little interest in Christmas, obviously. Or not so obvious, they're not turkeys. But cows need milking, and the sheep need checking as winter rolls into next year. And Farmerama doesn't stop either, as we continue to reflect on the latest goings-on in the small-scale farming movement in the UK and around the world. Right, first we'd like to share with you the story of Pete Douglas, who we met at the recent Soil Association Soil Symposium event in Bristol. Pete is a farmer without a farm. He's a true shepherd. He grazes his 400-odd sheep all over the local land. I was really, well, We were really inspired because he has a really self-sustaining business model um, and, amazingly, it provides benefits to everyone. The sheep graze on good farmland to keep down the grasses, and of course they add some extra fertility. And then you get delicious lamb, because the sheep are grazing on such good quality arable land. And for him, the golden ticket is really that in summertime, when no farmers want his poor sheep, the sheep are let loose on the solar farm, eating all the weeds growing in and around the panels. So it's perfect. And of course there are all sorts of benefits to Pete's model, both for his sheep and the farmer, and we'll let him tell you more. My business stands on its own two feet in that um, I have to make the sheep profitable. I get no income from any stewardship payments, I get no single farm payment or anything like that. So it's purely a standalone business. So it's farming in, it, in its purest form, really. And you said something about you help build fences? Yeah, I, I, I do some fences, and I also one of the agreements I have is I don't pay for the grazing, but I, I equate... I, I do hedge laying, so um, making feel stockproof by using the existing material in, in the hedge. I equate how much I've, I, I owe the farmer from grazing into metres of, metres of hedge to be laid, which is a, which is a nice bartering, bartering chip to have. I think, providing you show benefit, what, what, are, what are the landowners going to get out of it? That's a really big, a really big factor. And um, if you can sell it to them that way, that they're going to get free improvements or they might be saving having to do something. Sheep are very good at conditioning grassland. They'll help tidy it up, especially if it's on a, on a beef-only farm, for instance, if it's grazed right down and then it's left to grow as a fresh from next year. So you have, a, have, a, have, have good grass growth either for grazing or for cutting forage on, as well as fertility coming in within the, within the rotation itself. A lot of farming has become specialist in that you have a lot of farms in this country that are arable only or dairy only. Um, I'm specialist in sheep production, but not on my farm, on various different farms, taking advantages of all the fresh grass that's around in various areas. So are you using some sort of app or software in order to kind of monitor and, you know, which are the best ones, which are the ones that I'm going to keep, which are the ones I'm going to out, et cetera, et cetera? Absolutely. That's the real benefit of EID, yep. electronic identification. Lots of farmers saw that as a real burden, 
that's a real opportunity. How do you keep records if you're not knowing exactly what's going on? The lambs are tagged 24 hours after birth and then are related to the ewes. So I, I, I then know that they can only go with certain other tupping groups, they're not getting too close to other maternal genetics. I've got a good memory, but it'd be impossible to remember from one year to the next. 300 years as well. Yeah. So it, there's, there's all sorts of ways that you can use that to hopefully refine. And there's an old saying that you spend 90% of your time with 10% of your flock. Now, if I can remove 10% a year, and then, then I'm spending my time with the next worst 10% the next year, and hopefully I'm whittling, whittling those, those variables down. It's fundamental, I suppose, perhaps as the generation coming through now is very much more tech-savvy, so they're used to using this in their everyday, in their everyday lives. But it's a case of, you know, it costs £800 for the system, you may as well make it work, really make it work for you. And if that can, I'm pretty sure it more than paid for itself in its first year. Because you're recording that, amount, that level of information and you're not wasting time with sheep that don't have a future in the flock. Yeah. It's much easier to say, I've identified you, you're not one I want, off you go. There are, also, there, are a lot of, there are some irrelevant features in some of the technology. I think almost everything is sometimes slightly over-engineered. There are, but equally, there are some, um, uh, some factors that, that are very, very good and very useful in there. And it sounds like the most all-encompassing, well-thought-out, multivariable system I've ever heard of. I don't know quite about that, but it's, 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 it certainly keeps me busy and keeps me occupied, which is, uh, which is good. Keen. <laughs> keen, but you are keen. This sounds really unusual and quite exciting in a funny kind of way, but is this something which is known? Is, it, is this a common practice? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of farmers, um, like say my, my parents, for example, they, we have, um, so we kind of have a base farm and then we've got like other bits of land that we use and for kind of grazing and to like rotate the sheep around. Uh, but the the way that this guy operates is amazing. Like uh, the fact that he doesn't own anything and he's utilising that uh, especially, you know, everyone talks about how hard it isn't to get into farming because you don't own land or basically he's come up with a system where you can have a business that he like he only has to work on it. I think he said like three days a week. So he still has two days a week to do other things. And this is making him money. It's like you hardly ever hear about that in farming where mm. it's actually making you money. That's amazing. Making you money. Yeah. Ha 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 ha. Another thing which is interesting to me is this seems in a, a, like a kind of direct response to just making use of the land that's available and it could be quite an actually ancient idea but it actually seems that this is something which is really made possible by the technology. Yeah, I mean, he, funnily enough, he didn't really talk about the technology at first but then as soon as we asked him about it, it sounded like it was pretty key to mm-hmm. the whole system. Uh, that it was like way too much to remember or organise for yourself in one brain, but that if you could keep track of it all, you know, quite actively as you're doing things on the farm with your phone, that was that was the key to this system, essentially. Because that's something I've always thought about, is sort of ancient skills that might have been lost. Memory of mm-hmm. that type is something that's really important to being a shepherd, and I think that's probably something that's quite hard to pick up unless you're brought up. Doing it. Doing that. Yeah, I think as well, I mean, a lot of the flocks probably years ago would have been smaller. Um, So he, I don't think his flock was something like 400 sheep or there are 300 maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, obviously like remembering the, you know, the good and the bad across that number of like breeding ewes is, is impossible. But 
maybe in like the olden days um if you had a flock of like 50 it was much easier to like oh i remember that one and perhaps i don't know if there would be different breeds etc um it would just be easier to kind of like identify and um act accordingly i really liked how he said um that so many farms are becoming specialized now and that he in a way he's like bringing diversity to specialized farms because he is specialized in sheep but because he's mobile (laughs) he's able to bring that to many different farms and you do hear about more and more especially kind of organic or smaller scale farmers talking about how really you need to have that diversity in order to have a fully functioning successful farm so it's interesting this perspective where you're actually like using others to bring the diversity to your farm it's really interesting it's like these very kind of you know get really good at one something and then share that with somebody else Mm -hmm. and I've got this lovely image of like kind of layered businesses on top of each Mm -hmm. other and just crossing over slightly and Mm -hmm. and actually building a system which is sustainable yeah and works Mm -hmm. for everyone now it's time to welcome a new member to the Farmerama family Hannah is a keen and experienced grower working right here in London She founded Yard, a company that designs market gardens for cities and is interested in how they can be used to teach people more about the food they eat and also in how they can play a role within communities. In her first dispatch, she's chewing the cud with Alice Holden, who's with Growing Communities, one of the biggest players in the London organic veg box scene. So I've just snuck into the office here at Dagnum Farm and managed to pull aside head grower Alice Holden after picking six kilos of salad, which has gone off to a pizza restaurant down in South London. Alice, you've got loads of salad growing down here. Um, We're in zone five. We can hear the roar of the traffic and the trains. What daunted you most about growing in a city? Um, Well, I moved from rural West Wales, um, so I was a bit worried about where I'd get my fertility because I was used to getting it from muck from farms. Um, But actually, I found that being in the city is a brilliant place for growing because there's so many resources on your doorstep that others consider as waste. Um, So we've tapped into some of those things here. So is that kind of like the stuff that people put into their little green recycling box, uh, kitchen scraps and food waste that gets taken away by the council and turned into compost? People don't often see that. Is that what you're using here? Yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing. So, for instance, we get green waste compost from North London Waste. It's only got a a small percentage of the food bin waste in it, but it all gets composted by the local authorities and we actually get it for free. We just pay for deliveries. Um, We get 25 tonnes at a time and it's fabulous weed-free compost. We get through huge volumes of compost, so we need the organic matter to make that compost And we found that there was a local company called Crush Juice Bars, which is embarking. And they were having a problem with all their fresh produce waste and were delivering it to landfill and having to pay for that. So now we take all their veg peelings and fruit peelings, um, uncooked stuff and eggshells. And we get about, well, between one and two tonnes a week and we compost it and we also mix it with wood chip because it's it's quite wet and quite high in sort of nitrogen and yeah. you need to mix the balance with the carbon um, which 
the wood chip is also free and we're finding it's a great source of making our own compost. Amazing so gosh that is a really big delivery to have and I've noticed just walking around that you've got these kind of thick beds of compost that you're growing straight out of um lots of them are weed free so are you just generally applying that and applying that um compost over and over again like how are you growing here um we we use a no dig system so we put compost on top but when we plant things like our main crops like tomatoes we put in the holes a mixture of lots of different types of compost that we've made things like our own compost that's homemade on the farm um, things like composted leaf mould and wood chip and on the top we dress it with the green waste compost because it's weed free yeah. and that gives nice uh, weed free beds. With That's amazing so you've got the fertility from the homemade compost, good structure from the leaf mould and then I love it this kind of weed free cap that you're putting using that green waste compost which doesn't look like the most fecund of compost does it it's, and it's a little bit dry but I like the way that you've utilised that to kind of so it's almost like EnviroMesh you're putting over the top but it's but it's compost. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like a, a um, like my, using mypex almost because it it's so clean and it's so hot composted that it kills off any weed seed, and it also means that we can just save our own, for instance, lettuce seed and then sprinkle the seed heads over the bed, um, and because there aren't any other weeds coming up as competition, um, just your lettuce seeds will germinate, and it's a very quick. Um, low labour system of of planting a whole bed of lettuce and we did that last year and then transplanted them when they were too thick yeah works really well depending on the bed and the family group we do it with say brassica salads and we just sprinkle any seed heads we've saved over a bed and it will all be mixed up Um, and yeah you get like a lawn of different kinds of brassica salads coming up and you can harvest it and you get an instant nice mix and the same with lettuces we use lots of different types and we save the seed heads and we sprinkle them over a bed and we come through and you get um, a nice varied salad yeah. um, which is awesome because you're getting quite a good price I imagine per kilo for like a mixed leaf salad which lots of restaurants want ready to go sometimes we do get beds that have seedlings coming up on them but more and more frequently they are crops that we we can use so uh, the longer we've been here we're, ha- we're finding that le- salad different types of salad are self-germinating in the beds um, and we're just letting them be and it's just saving us labor and often if they're in the wrong um, part of the farm in terms of our rotation we can use them as seed beds um, that we then transplant from so we can pop them into the right places um, according to our rotation plans out the back here you've got like a compost village (laughs) being set up I saw some of the volunteers today emptying bags of um, kind of fresh fruit choppings um, Mm -hmm. into the compost so you must have about 20 bays I think now of pallets one thing we are finding is avocado seeds um, don't compost very well oh, no damn you Londoners and your, <laughs> your joy of avocados habits but yeah <laughs> that was Hannah Schlotter talking to Alice Holden of Growing Communities based at Dagenham Farm um, Dagenham is an ex-council nursery and they grow organic vegetables which are then sold to local restaurants and people in the veg box scheme
Okay, so right at the very beginning of Farmerama, one of the first people we met was Robert Simpson. Um, he's a founding member of the UK CSA network. Now, Robert is he's really relentless in his pursuit of new ways of doing things. And as we learnt last time, he's also a huge advocate of experimentation. Here he is again with a particularly innovative solution for housing goats. Um, and it, I, somehow this sort of feels quite Christmassy to me. Well, I'm going to hear about it in a minute, but it's a technology which is... I just sort of feel it's in tune with the natural goatiness of goats. <laughs> it's nomadic, it's a little bit awkward, but a versatile and rugged response to, you know, the practicalities of, like, <laughs> their environment. Mm-hmm. They made a polytunnel with on skids to house goats. goats. Well, apparently someone told me that you need to keep goats are constantly moving on different pastures. Okay. So you perhaps kept the goats inside this mobile polytunnel and moved them onto different parts of the field. Now, actually, I must say, the reason why it was we went for this mobile polytunnel was because the planning um, authority for our area had said we'd already got two polytunnels up and they wouldn't let us put a third up. So we thought, right, well, we'll we won't put up a fixed building. We'll, we'll do something and make it mobile. <laughs> and somehow or other, we got to hear about, you know, we've asked some people who made polytunnels, and they said, oh, yes, well, we have made one, which is for goats. So they made this, and it, it's, it's an absolute treat. It's a success story, and it's an obvious way to one, in, one on the nose for planners, you know, because it's not you know a fixed structure it's just a mobile polytunnel of considerable dimensions isn't that funny can i ask a really like why do you need to keep goats dry i've no idea i said the, my imagination is defeated i cannot imagine why you need to keep goats in the polytunnel thanks robert we look forward to hearing from you again Next, we hit the road with regular contributor Ben Raskin from the Soil Association, who's been at something called the Potato Field Lab. The event featured potato fans from garden growers up to much larger producers, and Ben caught up with breeder David Shaw from Savari Trust. The focus of the field lab was growing blight-resistant potatoes, and Ben asked him whether this is something which seems to be taking off. It certainly seems to be. I mean, one of our problems is actually having enough seed grown for for the market. There seems to be a demand and an increasing demand, um, probably mainly amongst the smaller growers, um, gardeners, allotment holders and small holders as well. And, uh, you know, they haven't been taken up by the the large grower who says blight is never a problem for me I just put on the spray and it uh, always works and do you think there's also an issue with people's tastes you know so the the large retail markets do seem to be dominated by a very small number of varieties and obviously some of these new varieties or very blight resistant varieties might you know taste different um, might need cooking slightly differently um, and, and getting people to understand that perhaps is difficult. Yes, I think people need to understand the differences in, in these new varieties that 
they have qualities in addition to blight resistance that are very useful. In fact, uh, most of ours show very good virus resistance. Um, they have weed smothering ability and they also last through until April and May without sprouting and, and that's a very useful quality and I think people need to realise that. And the problem with the large growers, they're plugged into supply, a supply chain into supermarkets or larger stores and they have such very strict uh, specifications for a potato and they tell breeders like us if you can match our best variety and it might be Marquis or it might be Maris Piper or even some of the newer ones and if you can match that and also make it a blight resistance you know we know all about how to grow that that uh, variety uh, yes we'll take it we'll, we'll take it uh, take all you can produce and do you think that potentially you know, you're seeing a, a significant increase in amateur growers growing these varieties? Do you think that might in time lead on to them being prepared to buy those varieties from customers or do you think they're a different market? Well, it's enlightened people um, growing for themselves. They can realise the benefits. They know that if they put them in... Uh, the garden for example they're going to get a very good yield without really bothering and certainly without spraying they don't want to spray so yes maybe it'll work down in that um, they'll get used to they come back for more every year that's for sure but um, maybe they'll start asking for a similar potato in the shops you never know and uh, you know then we might have a chance of uh, selling into the larger uh, supply chain I think there was a lot of uh, interest shown by the people in the audience. A lot of them were very well aware of uh, blight resistance and its usefulness and they had come just to hear the, the latest news about what's available. Yeah, and it was great because we've obviously got the Your Sharpe varieties that have been around for a while um, and we had uh, Graham from Agrico uh, who are offering uh, some other varieties as well um, so it's nice to be able to have a wide range for, for lots of different palettes um, and certainly in the taste test um, we had chips and mash particularly um, that showed them off well um, the Axona I think and the uh, Carolus were the two that seemed to stand out for people um, one from each which was nice Ben Maskin talking to David Shaw from Savavi Trust um, we'd just like to give a shout-out to the Innovative Farmers Duchy programme. They funded these trials and are making really good work possible in this area. Nigel, Abby, do you have a favourite potato? Many people in the UK will be having Christmas dinner. Potato is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. um, OK, I, I'm going to hold my hands up and say I don't know a huge amount about potatoes. OK, OK, OK. okay. <laughs> Abby. I don't either. <laughs> I mean, I know I, I've heard of like the Maris Piper. It's pretty popular. Um, I think it's a good potato. Yeah. Versatile. But if you ask me to name another variety, I think I might struggle. Mm. Uh, what do we think? There are a few others, but I think... Mashed. That's <laughs> not... Oh, boiled. <laughs> but I think what this comes down to and what's interesting is that ultimately the supermarkets... Um, 
have, or someone somewhere along the line said, oh, Mary Piper is the best for chips and mash. And then now all that supermarkets want is a very specific type of potato. And therefore, literally, that's all we're ever exposed to, unless we're growing our own. And like I said before, it's not really up to the farmers to... They're not going to change the supply and force that down our throats, are they? Well, yeah, they don't have... They can't, because how do... Unless they sell direct, um, how can they get the potatoes to us? If If we're not wanting what they're growing... And Dan Barber mentions this in his book, The Third Plate, kind of the importance of chefs and influencers in what, in deciding on what we eat and how things are cooked in order to really you know take on new varieties of potatoes try them out do something experimental exciting with them or maybe just mash them and make them taste great and get and engage people with oh well this is a potato x or whatever um, and here it is and people enjoy it and then suddenly they know the name and they can ask for it and that's how change really happens and that's how farmers are really able to grow new varieties so on to next year mm-hmm. uh, what are you what are you excited about in the farm world for next year uh, well on the 6th and 7th of January there is pretty much the oh who's at the window uh, I don't know <laughs> Oh! Look at this. Abby, Nigel, come over. What's going on? Oh my word. Hang on, I just want to let them in. Someone's come to say hello at Christmas. Hello. Hey, big guy. My God, look at the size of their antlers. Bloody hell. They're huge. Well, they're so friendly though. So what do you know about farming reindeers? Uh, absolutely zilch. I mean, no, what I really want to know is just what we can feed them as a snack. Uh, carrots, they love carrots. Mince pies. Mince pies, yeah. Carrots. Yeah. Uh, Brussels sprouts always okay. go down a treat as well. Chuck me those carrots. Okay, okay. Catch. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. Oh, well. But anyway, we were talking about what we're doing in January. Oh yeah, so back to back to back to business. Yeah. So what are you excited about in the upcoming year in in the pharma world? So on the sixth and seventh of, of uh, January, it's the Oxford Real Farming Conference, yes. which is pretty much the premier event in the farming sustainable food calendar all of us are going to be there it's going to be really exciting but just to be clear we're not going to the farming conference not the oxford farming conference we're going to the oxford real farming conference i found this a bit confusing it is Mm. confusing Mm. yeah but well so the oxford farming conference has been going on like since the 50s 60 years yeah i think like a long time really well established um and big names are there the big, big players. But no real farmers, though. No. No real farmers. Mm, some maybe big farmers. Big corporate farmers, yeah, wearing suits, ties. 
No Wellington boots, for sure. <laughs> there comes a time when you've got to decide what side of the fence your bread's buttered on. That is right. Your bread is buttered. Is that a saying? Um, I think Jay just made that up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. What side great. of the fence is your bread buttered on? Well, the first year I went to the Oxford Farming Conference, I went oh. to Bo Anyway, thanks for joining us and thanks for all your support this year. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was, um, I was trying to sort of see if there was some way of like bringing the two sides together and I don't think it's really possible, to be honest. Mm. They're two very different Dif schools of thoughts. Different worlds. Thanks for joining us and thanks for all your support this year. We couldn't do this without your support and encouragement and input. So do let us know what you think or go one step further and record something for us. We really are always so excited to get things people or farmers have recorded for us. Um, and of course, keep updated on our Facebook or Instagram or Twitter at Farmerama underscore underscore or Facebook, it's Farmerama Radio. Oh, and we have a new website, Farmerama.co. Just that's dot co. Check that out too. It's the cool domain name, isn't it, Abby? <laughs> I oh. guess so. <laughs>